You've seen the best. You've seen the worst. Now here's the rest of both worlds. I'm Gayfesh. Get me drunk enough and I'll recite all 285 rules of acquisition. And I'm Ari, and I think every Ferengi is Quark. And today we'll be reviewing the Star Trek The Next Generation episodes, The Last Outpost, and Where No One Has Gone Before. But first, let's talk a little bit about Star Trek Prodigy. I watched the first episode this week. Yeah, I watched um, I watched the first two episodes. Um, it feels like Star Wars Rebels. Have you ever watched that show? Yeah, it sure does feel like Star Wars, like with the droids and everything. Everything about it felt kind of Star Warsy. I haven't seen the second, and I'm hoping now that they're on a starship, it'll make a difference to feel more Star Trekky. You've seen the second one, so maybe you'll be able to tell me. Yeah, it's them like figuring out how to run the ship and also how to work as a team because they're all, you know, uh, one of them is like, oh, I'm the captain and I, I just know everything. But he, you know, has to rely on, you know, it's it's a kid's show where it's talking about teamwork and trusting. each Yeah, other. but I really enjoyed that first episode. It was great. It was it, I don't know. It was really it was fun. It was fun to watch. It kind of reminded me, like you said, about Star Wars Rebels. Um but it, it had that like, I could keep watching this because I'm also watching the Owl House, which is a Disney Channel show or well, Disney Plus, I think. And uh-huh. it, so I've been watching two different kids shows recently. And there's sometimes there's that bit of kids show that just is like it hits the magic in your heart from when you were a kid or something and you just want to keep watching it. That's how I felt about Prodigy. I was like, wow, this feels like a big ripoff of Rebels. I really like it. And I wanted to see where it was going. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to more of it. Today, we're talking about The Last Outpost, which is the fifth episode in the first season. The telepay is by Herbert Wright. The story is by Richard Kriesman and directed by Richard Kala. In pursuit of Ferengi marauders, the Enterprise and its quarry become trapped by a mysterious planet that is draining both ships' energies. So, Ari... How did you like the Ferengi episode? Oh, it's bad. Um, it's but really I bad, actually isn't it? kind of well, yeah. So there's this part of me that found it comforting, and I think it was the original series feeling um, set. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it felt familiar. Like I was, and I kept trying to figure out if it was some sort of callback to the original series, but I just haven't seen enough of that as an adult to know. But it, something about it was kind of comforting in that way. But it was bad like i kept wanting to find nice things to say about it but my notes are full of snark uh, you mentioned the tos field that yeah the alien planet set with like the what the green colored sky box or whatever that that, that just felt mm-hmm. like right out of the original series it right was, out of it and the foam crystals yeah yeah uh-huh <laughs> just the, the 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 crappy 80s uh TV budget quality stuff that they could come up with. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it almost felt deliberate. That's why I wondered if it was a callback to the original series, but it's not. I don't think it's a callback more. So just they, they still had, you know, limited uh, TV budgets at the time. And that's mm. what they did. They, they were still developing better techniques for like matte paintings and stuff for, for better backgrounds. The first season, they're like, "Hey, we just always threw like a uh, a, a solid color canvas up and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> up on the ceiling when we when we filmed all this stuff. So we'll just do that for this one." I think yeah, there's a couple I mean, others this season that they use that that same technique with. So um, one of the questions that I have is, what are the tiny watch batteries? I'm assuming that it's kind of like the cough drops in Star Wars. So it's like their rank or whatever. But they oh. have tiny little watch batteries on their um, uniforms. Yeah, those are the rank pips. Okay, um, so I think three and four uh, is what Riker and John Luke had. That was the only two I noticed. Yeah, so I think one pip is Ensign. Uh, 
and then there's like there's also like a half pip which is uh it's not like a solid pip but it's got like a, a black circle in the middle so it's just a gold ring around it or, or a silver ring or whatever and that would be um like a lieutenant junior grade and then two pips is full lieutenant and then uh three two and a half pips is lieutenant commander three pips is commander four pips is uh captain and then i think admirals have like a bar and see, I just wanted to know if you knew all that off the top of your head, apparently, because you do. <laughs> yeah, um, don't ask me to explain the rank insignia for, like, uh, other eras. I, I, I know it had, it's like, for TOS, it had something to do with, like, the braided bands around their wrists, but I couldn't tell you off the top of my head what each one looked like. Mm, okay. Yeah, I thought that was interesting because I figured they had to be the rank of some sort, but I that was the first time I noticed them. So, mm-hmm. uh, so let's talk about the uh, the Ferengi themselves. Yeah. Uh, so they wanted to create a new alien that would be the Klingons for this new show. Oh, which brings up a question: Why does yeah. uh, if they know nothing about the Ferengi, why does Quark hate them so much? Or, or not Quark. <laughs> I meant uh, the other guy, Worf. Worf. Why does Worf hate them so much? He like I, mutters under his breath and he's real mad about it. He, Worf is ornery. I actually, um, I noticed how bad his dialogue is this episode. I have written down specifically two quotes. Immobilized by the damn Ferengi. And mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't even know if this is like, is this a slur? Pygmy Cretans? I, right. I don't even know. I was, like I know. I had that same moment of uh <laughs> what did I, I'm you not say? sure that's okay to say that anymore. Um it was the eighties, so there was all sorts of stuff they were saying that they weren't supposed to just in media in general. So I don't even know where that word sits. I just know that I haven't heard anyone say it probably since that episode. Yeah, <laughs> no. Um and and I taught I use that word too when I'm describing the second and third ender books because that's also the word they use in those books to describe the little tree people that turn into the trees that <laughs> have you read those books i have weird. not i've only seen the one movie okay um but they have and they use that p word too and every time i hear it it makes me feel weird so i try not to say it but i heard it in my brain like bristled as well i like the visual design of the Ferengi makeup, I mean, it's it, it it gives it takes them a while to to get it a little more streamlined, so it it doesn't so obviously look like just a, a foam rubber thing they're wearing over their heads. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, in general, I like the design. Yes, they have a big butt and they look stupid because they've got a big butt on their head. But I, I don't know. I think it works. I um, like what- their design, and I liked the implication of "Oh, you guys are so ugly" to like the humans. You know, I, I something about that. Like, I was like, yeah, like they because it's normal to them to have these big bulbous heads with their weird ears and that kind of stuff. You know. Another thing that uh, gets touched on a little here, and I don't remember how much it comes into play later, like in TNG or Deep Space Nine, but um, Troy wasn't able to read the Ferengi, and I think it is that Ferengi just are, like, immune to telepaths. Mm, I wondered about that. I have in my notes, oh, Deanna's useless, but I didn't know why. 
uh, she was useless in that regard, but actually, like, the advice that she gives this episode is really good. Like, I, I was like, wow, she's actually giving solid pointers. Like, hey, we weren't paying attention to the planet this whole time. I was just like, yeah, that's a good point. Nobody considered the planet was the one doing it until she pointed it out. Yes, that's actually a very good point. She is the one that... Yeah. But back to the Ferengi thing, I think... I don't know if this is canon or if it's just in like non-canon technical manuals or possibly canon technical manuals, but I think it is that Ferengi have like a four-lobed brain instead of a two-lobed brain. And because it's so different of a brain shape, uh, um, Deanna's just not able to read it. Oh, that's interesting if there's an actual explanation. That's something that I've always found, at least Star Trek fans have always been very good about pointing out, well, this is that way because it's a lot of things actually get explained for a reason rather than just oh, they just can't read them, or there's usually an, ex- an an excuse is what I was going to say, but I mean like an explanation like there's a reason she can't read them it's not just that she can't you know mm-hmm. I loved the French joke that the French more properly used the colors of red, white, and blue. <laughs> yeah, um, they it, it's it's so funny to see uh, Picard's French pride in the first season. It doesn't really carry over beyond that. I think they just kind of were like, you know, he's French, but he's really English in later seasons. But it, it's funny to see them lean into it here. It is and, funny, yeah. And it feels like he's compensating. It feels like... He, like, I mean, because th- there was a previous episode where Data called French an obscure dead language and Picard was so incensed. And I feel like maybe Data was actually right. And like French culture in the 24th century is basically just only living on the Picard vineyards and nowhere else. And so he's like the last <laughs> bastion of French culture on Earth. And then there's another episode, a couple episodes away from this one, where there's a reference to Uncle Sam and Worf is like, Uncle who? No, that was this episode. That was, was same it this episode? episode. Okay, I thought it was a few away. Because they were talking about Yankee traders and, and, and Riker's oh, like, Yankee traders. I like the sound <laughs> of that. And Data's like... Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um... Okay, so this is a real actual question because okay. it's something that drives me nuts. And the, the to set the scene, you haven't seen 2001 since you were a child, but other people listening might have seen 2001 since then. Like, when the guy goes and video chats his daughter in in the very beginning of 2001 after the apes, um, he is on a video call with his daughter and the video keeps moving around. Like someone is moving the camera to track the daughter. Like it's tracking her. Right. Who, by the way, was Daniel Stanley Kubrick's real daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of race, th- racist things, she asked for a bush baby. And I had to look up if that was racist. <laughs> <laughs> that's it's one of those animal. things. It sounds yeah. racist, but it's not. It, yeah. yeah. So it drives me nuts that the camera tracks her because there's no reason for that. You can see in the one that he's sitting at that it's not moving. It's just sitting there as a stale camera. Mm-hmm. And that happened with the Ferengi. Who's running that camera? Why is it so close to their face? What was that? What was what was the stylistic choice to have the Ferengi beam their image over in such a weird way up close and then like moving around and up on his teeth? It was real weird. A lot of that is just to like give them an unsettling alien appearance. Uh, For one thing, you mentioned they mentioned how they as as their custom, they don't typically do ship to ship communication 
through, through so maybe through it was visual. like it, yeah maybe it was supposed to be like they don't know what they're doing with it maybe and also i got the, the feeling like like obviously he's not standing in a white void like they probably just had had like a um a, a zoom filter to to wa- wash out the background so that they couldn't see any of the like instruments or anything or, or gain any information there but and i can't remember who but somebody points out that there seemed to be some deception in that video yeah. recording then i think that's what they were talking about um but there actually is an answer to the changing of angles and why they do that. The view screen is not 2D. The view screen is 3D. They are getting a full 3D image. That's why when the, the camera on the bridge changes angles, you still see uh, the, the Ferengi looking directly at Picard sightlines and everything. If you were standing on the Enterprise bridge, say you had just come from the ready room, and you walked all the way across to, say, the Battle Bridge Turbo Lift, which is on the other side, and you were looking at the Ferengi on the view screen the whole time, you would see the the, the angle change, I think is the, the, the implication. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's like the 3D technology that James Cameron would, would love to have. <laughs> yeah, he would. In future episodes, you will also see um, in view screen communications that... Uh, characters will typically be angled in such a way that they are they have a sight line with Picard. Okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we just talk about Puman female? <laughs> Puman female, yeah. Um, my mom has loved and hated this episode for so long. Every time she thinks of the Ferengi, she goes into the most caricatured voice she can. And she's like, they call their females. And... <laughs> Um, the, the, we gotta the, get your mom to do that for the podcast. <laughs> oh, that that would be fun, actually. There are many things from this episode that do not go forward uh, with the Ferengi because it looked horrible. But the sexism definitely is a recurring element. And you know, One I'm thing- okay with that that type of sexism because yeah, it's pointing sure. out the the fact that the 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 Enterprise isn't like that, that the Federation isn't like that, that well, it's egalitarian. You know. The Ferengi are supposed to be villains, so yeah, they're they're making them sexist is like, okay, they're the bad guys, that's fine. Yeah, exactly. So their tubes are really stupid. Um, I really didn't know what to make of their tubes. Because they were just like, yeah, they were like, they were like dryer tubes. Like, I mean, you and I could make them out of things in our house right now if we wanted to. (laughs) I don't know how you would aim the the blast from that, because it's like you throw it like a whip and then it like... At the end of the uh, when when the whip like bends over, that's when it fires. Or I, I it was hard to tell like <laughs> how you would point that thing. I it was yeah. so impractical. I don't so really... where the heck did data? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, I just remembered where the heck did data get Chinese finger traps from? <laughs> Why was he walking around with those? The the two little kids that Riker chased out of the uh, oh. um, the conference room. They had left one in there, and data found it. I guess that's what it was. My whole time I was like, how do they have a Chinese finger trap in here? Now, I mean, full disclosure, I had seen this episode before because I've seen like the first eight before I decided we decided to do the podcast. Um, uh-huh. So this was a rewatch for me, but I was like, where the heck did that come from? I was like, it's a good metaphor, obviously, because they're both trapped in the fin- the Chinese finger trap or whatever. But and they have it's to work so together weird to get that out. all of it. Yeah, exactly. But all of a sudden he's like, I got this Chinese finger trap and I'm like where did that come from my husband says the replicator i'm like no that's not what i mean (laughs) (laughs) 
what I really liked in that scene, other than obviously Data struggling with the finger trap, was um, the the holographic display that they had on the uh, on the table. They don't usually do that in future episodes, probably just because it's easier to just do the display on the wall. But yeah. it was it was cool to just see all the little, uh, uh, especially with Data in the foreground and them in the background. Um, it's a lot harder to composite those kind of shots back then because obviously they were just filming on one plate they didn't have like data sitting there uh in front of nothing and then filming uh Riker and everyone in the background they just all filmed them together and so i think they had framed it so that data would always stay in like the bottom corner of the frame so that he wouldn't clip over the holographic display but you mm. don't really notice it um because because he doesn't clip it you just think oh it's actually just it, it looks nice visually it, it looks right, like yeah you have good depth in there. You feel like that holographic display is actually there. I was really impressed with that, with that effect. Um, there are effects in the first season that don't hold up nearly as well as that. How rude was it that Picard hung up on them as soon as he realized they weren't causing the the, the power drain, the anti Shazam, uh, as I was calling it in my head, because <laughs> it was draining their power instead of building it back up. There was a lot of like a strategic. Uh, lying to each other in that uh scenario like and, and when because when he resumes the transmission he like starts in the middle of a sentence so he makes it sound like they just had cut out on discord and uh then he got back it's like oh and, and the friend is like oh sorry you cut out i only heard the last bit yeah i know i thought it was so rude but i mean they don't know anything about these people they think that they're the ones that are like causing the problem i can kind of see why you know mm-hmm. um i do think it's hilarious that um, I believe one of the Ferengi says deception is the way of the human and then proceeds to lie. I thought that was really <laughs> funny. Well, um, yeah, I mean, that's 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 how you gaslight gatekeep girl boss. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so that guy, as I call him, Tim. Um, yeah, so he was really like Tim, the enchanter. He was. Yeah, um, I was like, I was expecting to hear, you know, what is your quest? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I mean, I, I just the. Uh, the ending of it was so cheeseball with the Sun Tzu quote and everything. Oh, suddenly you have great knowledge in your head from this person that you happen to be thinking about. Oh, this is great. And then the episode's over. I was like, what? It's it's really <laughs> weird. I, I think it's another one of those that tries to show like that humanity is superior and they've like overcome and they have all this great ancient wisdom that they've taken forward and and the Ferengi are, are still like hopping you know. around like little weirdos like that was the other part of that scene is there because while they're talking like Sun Tzu and stuff the Ferengis are jumping around and I was like I wonder what the direction was from the director okay just jump around like the, crazy people <laughs> uh, Armin Shimmerman said they were instructed to uh, act like crazed gerbils oh yes Principal Snyder and yeah <laughs> Uh, Quark himself was in the first Ferengi episode. But he wasn't the main guy, right? He wasn't the one on the bad Zoom call with Grandma. He That was a different guy, right? That was a different guy. He was the one who put the communicator in his mouth. It's like, it tastes like gold. Right. Okay, that guy. Because it was hard for me to tell because I've only ever seen Principal Snyder as without his Ferengi makeup on. I just happen to know because everybody announces it when they walk in the room. When you go, if you're watching Buffy and any nerd walks into the room and you're a girl, they will tell you that that is Quark from Deep Space Nine. <laughs> I'm I'm picturing, you know, that meme uh, at the baseball game where like 
the guy is like leaning in and explaining something to his disinterested girlfriend. And he's got like the, the wraparound shades and the hat and everything yeah. like the, the, the total douche bro look and just yeah I imagine it's like that except uh, he's um, got an anime t-shirt on and <laughs> buck teeth and he's like actually yes or like Dwight from the but yeah, yeah. Um, I mean I was la- I, my whole life I've been watching Buffy as we know from the discussion about band candy but I, I so I've known that Quark is Principal Snyder for a very long time. I don't know what this means, but my notes say I feel so bad for Worf. Oh, I know why. Because he thought he was going to battle and he was so mad that Riker was going to battle instead of him. Mm-hmm. I felt bad um, for him. They, they did. He get, did get to the battle, though. He had a couple Ferengi like clinging onto his back. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> it was really funny looking there. When when Data is holding one of the Ferengi aloft and he's just like, look out, they're stronger than they. And then one of them punches Riker in the face and Data just like has like a smirk like, "Ooh, I told you so. <laughs> Data has a lot of "Ooh, I told you so faces in this episode. I noticed. I really like, you know, I, I, I like where data became in the show but there's a lot of stuff in this first season he's a lot more emotive than he is in later uh seasons when they establish that he doesn't have emotions um, yeah and and i'm sure a lot of it is just him he's mimicking human behavior that he's seen well but there's a I- whole discussion about babbling in the episodes that are coming up that is interesting to me but we'll talk about those yeah. when we get to them we almost forgot my favorite part John yeah. Luke Picard got to say shit. <laughs> yeah, he, he did. <laughs> he goes mad. I um, know. I had to look it up because I was like, wait a minute. Isn't that the S word? <laughs> so fun fact, that is the first time that the word shit has been uttered in any language in Star Trek. We won't hear the word shit itself until Star Trek Generations. Oh, I saw that one in the theater. And we won't hear the word f- until um, Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> oh, do they say it in Discovery? There's like a, a, an episode where uh, Tilly goes, oh, it's f***ing cool. Sorry. And then um, uh, Stamets <laughs> goes, no, it is f***ing cool. I need to watch that show, but I'm now I'm waiting to do it for the podcast. Yeah, that, that, that scene to me like came off like, oh, we're on streaming now. We get to say the bad word so let's do it twice in a row i know i mean if you got to be on streaming you got to take advantage of the the benefits which are being able to say what you want to say i yeah i know you're gonna bleep this but my favorite english teacher in college said nothing says like listen we just know at some point in star trek prodigy they're they're all just going to be calling each other i hope so (laughs) i can only hope so uh, so next, we're going to talk about where no one has gone before. It's the sixth episode written by Diane Duane and Michael Reeves and directed by Rob Bowman. And as an aside, I read that this was his very first one and he went on to direct a whole bunch more. He did. When an experimental engine modification throws the Enterprise to the edge of the known universe, the crew must rely on a mysterious alien to guide the ship home. So what are your thoughts? He's my favorite. I love him so much. Wesley <laughs> or the Traveler? Both of them. I don't know. The, this whole this whole show has become about Wesley Crusher to me. I have such a like. He's the main character. He is the intrepid hero um, for me. But I love the Traveler. I don't know. I just I, I he's the first character that I'm like. I get this guy. I really do. Like I I related to him really a lot. I liked him. I thought he was amazing. I read that he tried out for Data first. The guy who played him. 
and uh-huh. didn't get data. And so I thought it would have made an interesting data. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. I think he would have been fine. Um, obviously, I, I love Brent Spiner, and I'm happy that's how it ended up. But I'm sure that guy would have done a great data, too. Yeah, and I just, I don't know. This episode was the first one that I actually have an emotional attachment to, I think. Well, we'll talk about that. I think something about this guy and his, like the alien guy he's just called the traveler right i kept trying to catch a name but they just referred to him as the traveler yeah he said that he has a name but it's unpronounceable by human tongue right okay so the traveler guy he's just trying like he knows that there's more out there he's trying to like merge space time and thought and like push out to like and push beyond the boundaries of what he knows he's an he's like at his core he's an explorer and i related to that and wesley related to that and that's what made the episode for me really relatable this episode was very much about building up wesley to be like he's supposed to be like the ultimate starfleet officer like yeah do we want to jump ahead to the to the prophecy yeah absolutely (laughs) so the prophecy was very much I love a chosen one trope because I do. I mean, but it very much felt like, oh, he's getting set up here to be like something bigger than he is. And I was like, that's cool because I want to see where it goes. You know, I want to see what's happening with Wesley. Um, I don't know anything about what becomes of Wesley or why he exits the show. I do know that after Jean-Luc makes him ensign, he says, we're going to get you into Starfleet as soon as possible. And I thought maybe the writers intended on getting him into Starfleet sooner than later. Um, But because of all that, it really gives Wesley a purpose rather than being the annoying wonderkin, as we've referred to him before as he has a purpose. He he has a reason for being as clever and special. And man, I am jealous of his sweaters. And I wouldn't call it a prophecy. Uh, a, A prophecy has like intended or expected outcomes. This is just he has potential. And yes. the traveler sees his potential and sees him as comparable to a Mozart and is like, this guy's a prodigy. You have to encourage him, but you cannot tell him what I see in him because he is not ready to know that. Now, I was reading the IMDb on this episode afterwards, and you're the only one that can really tell me this and other people who've watched the show. And when this conversation is brought up, it seems that Wesley and Bev both know of the prophecy. I believe they said maybe it was in Generations. Maybe it was in an episode. I can't quite remember. Wasn't it? I think, yeah, I read that too on Memory Alpha. I think it was, um, it, it gets brought up later in like season six or seven. And I think that was probably just the writers forgot that it was supposed to be kept secret from them. <laughs> I, I don't think it's that important. The, 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 the important thing is give Wesley the space to grow and give him the tools that he needs to do so. Right. And it really, it it makes him way less annoying because there's a reason that he's so good at the ship. There's a reason he's so good at like repairing things and working in engineering and that stuff. Do we ever get to see the traveler again? I will say maybe. Maybe. Ooh. Maybe. I won't give a definitive yes or no, but that was, that's the correct question to ask. Let's talk about Argyle. <laughs> What a dumb name, but it sticks out. So he is there. And um, so there seems to be a lot of different engineering guys, right? We had a different chief engineer in the naked. Now the, the, the little short blonde woman. Yeah. Um, And then there's Argyle in this episode. And it seems and like every episode. couple episode. Yeah. There's a, uh, in, in, in later episodes, there's a, a, a different guy. Um, they didn't have 
an established main cast chief engineer when they cast the show. So they were just like, oh, if we need something in engineering, we'll get some. And if we can't get the, the same actor back, who cares? We'll just get somebody else. It'll be fine. So um, kind of creating like a team. Yeah. But in season two, they make Jordy the chief engineer and move him down to engineering for the rest of the show. And that, oh, that kind makes of so much more sense. Yeah, that that gives him a little bit more room to grow because it's he's like one of the helmsmen on the ship right now in, in the first season. But it's also it's kind of unclear what his role in general is, especially because they're letting Wesley fly the ship a lot now, too. Um, how come Wesley does his homework in engineering? It seems a weird place for him to be doing his homework. Well, it depends on what the homework is. If it's something to do with, say, um, like intermix formulas on the uh, the warp drive or something like that, it's probably a really good place to get some hands-on experience. And, and uh, I don't know. Um, he's do you think doing he has special there. privileges? Because he's yeah. not... He's, is he an ensign now? Yeah, because he was became one at the end of the last... No, he's at the end of this episode. Right? Um... Yeah, you're right. No, that's so good he has point. no yeah, reason because... to be doing his homework or having special like treatment or whatever to be in engineering other than plot device, right? It may just have been that he like was able to talk to Argyle and Argyle's like, yeah, sure, just so long as you don't get in anyone's way, you can you can hang out here. I'm I'm sure you you get the sense that a lot of the crew has respect for Wesley, even even if a lot of the senior staff kind of ignore him. There's people like, no, this kid's smart. And I like having him around, so it's okay if he does this, so long as he doesn't get drunk on poly water intoxication and take <laughs> over the ship again. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. He wasn't, because he wasn't made acting ends until the end of the episode. So uh, I was thinking ahead to, to other episodes where, of course, he'd be doing homework in engineering. He's an acting ensign. Part of his homework is probably ship function. Okay, so let's do. We have to stop because and talk about the sweater a little bit because it's not the sweater, but it's a sweater. And he it has is worth many sweaters. About. This one's orange and it's yes. got really neat frills on the front of it. And I don't know. I was looking at it and I crochet. I was like, I wonder if I could crochet that sweater. You, if you do that and like model it online or something like that, just post <laughs> screenshots with. I don't know, put 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 your husband in it and have him uh <laughs> <laughs> I could make it for him to be Wesley for like next to Halloween or something. Yeah. But that sweater, like I mean, we all know the rainbow sweater now, but or I just recently learned of the rainbow sweater's existence, but I'm all about that rainbow sweater. Mm-hmm. But this one was something else as well. I was like, I love it. It looks this so sweater. comfy. It looks so it cozy and warm. It does. Like he's never gonna be cold again. I wanna put that on and just get a cup of Earl Grey. I know, right? <laughs> I've never had a roll gray. Um, I need to try it sometime. Oh, I want to talk about the pig in the trash bag. Uh, no. Okay, it wasn't a trash bag, but that's what I thought it was at first. A pig in a trash bag. Uh-huh. Um, so it was, I think, called a targ. I think that's yep. what he said it was. And it was mm-hmm. um, his his pet right yep do you want to try to make a guess or did you happen to see this already at what the pig's name is in real life because i love the pig's name i don't remember i did read the the memory alpha article that that gave its name and it was like like a a a two-word uh girl's name or something like that what was it it's a russian wild boar named emmy lou emmy (laughs) lou that's right (laughs) and apparently she smelled horrible and like the animal handler said, oh, I, I showered for like a week straight to get that thing off. 
Oh no, poor. Fortunately, when 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 the the boar was on set, like for the most part, it she's just framed by herself. There's like one bit where Worf's hand comes in and pets it, and that might not have even been Michael Dorn. That might have just been a stunt guy who's like, "No, I, I'm an animal handler and I'm black, so I will do this <laughs> this part of it." Well, uh, it it's kind of hard to tell. Wild boar. So was it not like domesticated or? I don't know. Um, I, I imagine it was tamed. Um, it, it wasn't a domestic pig. It was a boar, but it was probably raised in captivity or something like that. And I thought it was a cool detail, to be completely honest, because of course Worf had a wild boar thing as a pet, right? <laughs> and Targs are, uh, they are recurring elements. Uh, oftentimes when we're seeing like Klingon ships, the captain just has a pet Targ on the bridge or something. Uh, yeah. There is... Um, I think it was in uh, Voyager, there is a uh, stuffed animal called Toby the Targ. Oh, that's cute. Good it's segue, really cute. because is this episode the inspiration for Voyager, or am I crazy? It's a very Voyager-style plot. Yeah, they get flung to God knows where. They said, like, when they got to the, the first one, they're like, it'll take us 300 years to get home. And mm-hmm. then the second jump, they were just, like, to a point where um, reality's breaking down. We don't even, it's not even possible to know where we are. Yeah, I thought that was great. I was like, man, this feels like somebody was saw this and was like, ooh, let's make Voyager, you know, off of that whole concept. It's very possible that this episode was an inspiration for that. But I kind of, I want to talk about going so far to the edge of space that thought and reality become intertwined. And I feel like they were kind of going for somewhat of a philosophical bent to it because um, I'm, I'm not a uh, philosophy major or anything like that. And I couldn't tell you most of the uh, lines of thought, but there is a line of thought in philosophy. Thought is reality. I mean, Rene Descartes, uh, I think therefore I am that. Mm-hmm what is real is defined by how we perceive reality. So reality is shaped by our thoughts. Even if our minds see something that isn't objectively there, like, like the atoms are, are, are different and we have uh, just a perception filter, different perception. Well, we're the only things life is the only thing that is actually able to be aware of the universe itself. Without that, it's just protons and neutrons bouncing against each other. We're the only things that can experience the universe and become aware of the universe. So thought really does, in that way, shape reality. Yeah, I felt that a lot with the episode. I felt kind of a connection to 2001. I know, I know. Um, well, to there's it. obvious parallels, yes. Yeah, um, because even there's even a part when they're coming back from the beyond, or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, They that felt like the very beginning opening parts of in, when um, Dave Bowman enters the infinite in his pod. Um, and so for me, there was, and that the whole reality is thought is, is, and then the fact that we that Wesley was so able to go thought is reality thought in these things. And he was able to look at right at the beginning at the guy's like notes. And he knew exactly what the guy was doing. I was like, yes, it's almost like Wesley is an advanced human in some way. And then he kind of reiterated that for us at the end. Mm-hmm. That Wesley can see that thought, reality, and time are all at the same, you know, level or whatever. If you can get to that point where you can experience reality in that way, can we talk about Kaczynski, the uh, scientist who thought he was the one doing all the uh, uh, upgrades on the engine? What a little prick! 
Oh, yes. I think I guess I had blocked him out. He was such a prick. Such a prick. I I love the performance because it's just like the the instant he comes on, he has this arrogant swagger to him. And it's just everyone is just like, yeah. He's a flyboy. Yeah. Well, he's not not even a flyboy. Like he's he's an engineer, uh, but he's just like he's like I just I, I I'm I'm hot shit and I know what I'm doing, and uh, I thought it was interesting actually. Um, the costume choice for him, they did not have him wearing a com badge, mm-hmm. and that he seems was wearing a, something though. Uh, um, he he actually had he didn't have the standard pips either. He had a little bar. So I'm wondering if it was he wasn't like a commissioned officer in Starfleet, but he was like, um, like a oh civilian man, member of Starfleet. You don't maybe? know because I read up on it actually. Okay. Oh, tell <laughs> um, me, tell me. So he has I don't remember what they called it in the thing that I read, but he has like basically a fake communicator that isn't a communicator because he is a civilian. It's to denote that he's a civilian. Because he's yeah. not he's not a Starfleet officer or whatever. So like the thing that he has is supposed to denote that he's a civilian. That would be the, the the bar instead of the pips on his collar. Because yeah. I did notice that. That would um that would explain it. And obviously this is early in TNG, so maybe the, they were like, well, if he's not a commissioned officer, he won't have the badge. That makes sense. But later on, and especially in stuff like Voyager. Uh, it seems like the uniform is the thing that denotes that you're in Starfleet, and anybody who's like uh, aboard is given a communicator because um, it's a communicator, and also it helps uh, track you through the ship. Like usually, if they're like trying to lock onto somebody locating someone in the ship, they will u- they will track their communicator to do so. So the computer knows to send the 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 pages, correct? The pages, <laughs> or yeah, <laughs> or or to lock onto somebody for a, for a transporter beam. Um, so it's. Yeah, I think it's just they hadn't fully decided on how they were going to have civilians look. So maybe that's it. But just seeing somebody in the Starfleet uniform without the badge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I was there. I, I mean, I saw that, too. And I was like, yeah, it is different. He's different. And so but I kept wondering if he was lying. Obviously, he wasn't lying because he was like, well, Starfleet says I'm supposed to be here, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, are you, though? You feel like you're you're so full of bravado. You're trying to make up for something <laughs> like I couldn't figure out what it was. But um, so something I want to talk about is okay. Tasha's flashback. Very short, but very impacting because we've learned before that Tasha grew up on this like planet with rape gangs and then we get this moment of a flashback when her cat jump or when her cat jumps up and she has this moment of a flashback and i thought it was so impacting i was like wow this really gives us like a like a view into like what it was like for tasha it also spoke a lot to trauma because like mm-hmm. everybody else was seeing so was that picard's mom or grandma i wasn't 100 that was his mom sure. okay that was his mom um and so he he saw his mom and Worf saw his pet and, you know, she had memories that took her back to the trauma in her life. And as someone who's experienced trauma in my life and has to deal with its impact on a regular basis, I really related to here we are all having kind of good memories, but hers are triggering trauma memories. And I thought that was really interesting and impactful for the character on the whole. Yeah, it's... um. It's a very striking moment. Tattered clothes. She's got like multiple scars on her body, visible, mm-hmm. like some that are pretty fresh. 
and she's uh, being chased by rape gangs, and her first thought is to make sure the cat is safe. Yeah, and that spoke volumes to Tasha. It spoke volumes to Trauma's impact. It spoke volumes to who she is as a person, that she cares about the cat enough to get it out of there before she cares about getting rid of herself, you know, taking care of herself. Um, I will complain a little bit that there was no sex and that Netflix lied to me because every episode says fear and sex. I think um, they just slap that on the series as a whole and don't, don't bother to go through and, and label every single one. I was so ir- irritated, though. I was like, there's no sex in this one, guys. Don't worry, there's sex coming up. I know. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, oh, it was not just good character development for Wesley. It was good character development for Picard because in specifically in relation to I'm Jean-Luc Picard and I hate kids. Because the guy took him aside and, or actually before that, let me talk about a little bit how Wesley's like, my name is Wesley. And he's like, we know, everybody knows your name or something like that. But it was like, yeah, but the reason he thinks you don't know his name is because you're such a dick to him, Picard. And then basically the alien guy was like, you need to treat this kid like he, he, he knows like he knows things he knows what he's he's special and it's gonna in the future he's gonna be important and for me that kind of made picard have to take a step back and go oh maybe i shouldn't treat all kids like jerks you know mm-hmm. and it felt like it was so it was also good development and especially like even i was so impressed with leslie even when jean luc calls him down and he comes down the turbo lift and he calls him to the bridge he stays in the elevator until uh-huh. jean luc says come on to the carpeted bridge <laughs> I, I cannot <laughs> stop seeing the carpet um and he's like come on in and but that was so respectful of wesley like it's just so it spoke to wesley's character as well yeah so that was my favorite thing. I was like, and I, my notes here say I'm really digging Wesley Crusher the series. <laughs> yeah, apparently he's my favorite character. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Ari. And I'm Gayfesh. And until next time. Live long and prosper. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Twitter at RestBothWorlds. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash RestBothWorlds for bonus content and hear your name at the end of each episode.